Welcome to Evangel Church. I hope that you're happy to be here today, and especially for anyone that's here visiting with us or is a guest of ours uh, today. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about. We're going to be celebrating baptisms, and uh, some of you might be here because you have a friend that's getting baptized, and we just want to welcome you. Can we welcome all those that are with us this morning again? Again, my name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the senior pastor here at Evangel Church, and we're just so glad to have you. Hope that you even join us after service for our Getting to Know You luncheon. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be in Genesis 32 today. And uh, before we celebrate new life and baptisms and the next step that people are taking to say, I'm a changed life, we're going to, uh, we're going to jump in the Word and just see a picture of a changed life uh, from Scripture. As you're turning, I have a couple of announcements that I missed from uh, our last service. We just jumped right into the message. But uh, we prayed last week for Pastor Carl. He's one of our former pastors here at Evangel Church, Pastor Carl Sanderson, his wife Catherine. Last week, uh, heading out the door, he was heading to church to speak. He fell down his steps. He hit his head and cut his head open uh, pretty badly. Um, we're so thankful because uh, at first we had heard that he had lost memory and he wasn't sure of what happened and couldn't remember within an hour or so that all, uh, all his memory came back. They did the test. All the tests came back negative. We're so thankful for that. Um, he's still recovering and he has a cut in his head and, uh, it's just so, uh, scary to imagine so many fell. There were even others in our church that had fallen, had, be, uh, had, had, it become, uh, you know, injured because of what happened last uh, week with the ice. And so I hope many uh, had a chance. Did anyone get a chance to watch our service online uh, from your home? And uh, did you enjoy it? Do you feel like you were a part of the service last week? Pray that you did because we really wanted to make sure. Uh, I just want to thank our technology team, Mike Epp and uh, Oliver and everyone else. Can we give them a big round of applause? They did a lot of work last week. And they, they made it possible for us to be able to stream our 9 o'clock service. Hundreds of families were able to tune in and be a part of our services. So I'm just so thankful for the way that the Lord had worked. They worked very hard to get that phone message out. And I hope that that warning got to you uh, before you had taken a fall or had stepped out without knowing about those icy conditions. Uh, as you turned here to Genesis chapter 32, we're in a series called The Changed Life. And this is a part of the vision God has given us. We exist to be changed lives, changing lives. We desire to see every person come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you think about Evangel Church, you need to think about this word, changed. So if we're called to be changed lives, then what does that mean? Well, that's what this series is all about. It's unpackaging our vision, the place God is leading us to, and where he's calling us, uh, and who he's ultimately calling us to be. We're called to be a changed life. And here's a great way to remember what a changed life is when it comes to a life in Christ. Anyone remember this? C is for connected to the body. Connected to the church, the body of Christ. H is for hungry for God, meaning you have that hunger for him. A is actively sharing Jesus. You are active in sharing your faith and what he's done in your life. N is for nurturing spiritual growth, meaning that you take your relationship with God seriously enough that you invest in it every day. You spend time with him in prayer and in the word. G is for generous. So you're a generous steward. That means that you're generous with your time, your talent, your treasure. What the Lord has given to you, you give freely back to him. E is for empowered by the Holy Spirit. Someone say amen. We're called to be uh, not empowered by our own selves, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's a promise that God has for us in his word. And finally, D is for discipling others. We're called to call people to follow us as we follow Jesus in discipleship. So this is what it means to be a changed life. And I pray that you are taking that journey very seriously and that if you belong to Jesus, 
Uh, You don't even need to belong to this church. If you belong to him, these are the areas that he's calling you to grow in. This is what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So we're exploring that some more. Last week during Vision Sunday, I gave you a passage of scripture that we're familiar with. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And we know that where there is no vision, the people perish. And we actually came across another version of that written in the message. I love this paraphrase of that passage. Here's what it says. If the people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. How many of you like me, I spent a lot of years stumbling over myself because I couldn't see that God had a plan for my life. Some of you today, you've been stumbling all over yourself. You don't really know what God is doing in your life quite yet. But I want you to know he has you here for a reason today and he wants to reveal himself to you. I love that second half of that verse. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. When we, not just see, when we don't just see what God is doing, but when we obey him, when we walk in obedience to what he reveals to us, then we are most blessed. That God, uh, we can experience his blessings and his provision in our lives to lead and guide us. A blessed life doesn't mean an easy life. Jesus promised that we'd have trouble, but one that is full of God's blessings means that we have his presence abounding in our lives, that he's leading and guiding us every step along the way. So we're going to look at a picture of what God is doing in someone's life. And if anyone knows the story of Jacob in the uh, Old Testament, the book of Genesis, that passage, when someone can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Yeah, that's kind of like Jacob's life story for most of his life. He doesn't necessarily have a picture of what God is doing, and so he's stumbling around, uh, just like many other people who God is ready to intervene in their lives when we read about it in Scripture. And we're going to see what happens when they get a vision of what God really wants to do with their lives, what he wants to do with Jacob's life, and how it changes everything. The passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is the moment in time where Jacob's life is changed. He comes into a life-changing relationship with God. Everything is different at the end of this part of his journey, and we want to look at it because up until this point, Jacob, he's just playing religion. He's just kind of wandering through life. He's, God's been revealing himself, but Jacob is still caught up in a lot of the other things that he was focused on in life, but God gets his attention in a beautiful, beautiful way in this passage and leads him into this changed life that we're talking about today because he leaves this point in scripture as a changed man. So this is where Jacob ultimately meets God. It's where he struggles with him and where God changes everything about who he is. Before we get into this passage, I want to give you some background. It's really important for you to understand the story that leads up to this point in time because it really brings out the significance of uh, what God is doing in Jacob's life. So here's some of the background context. There's a man who was Jacob's grandfather. His name was Abram. Uh, His name would become Abraham. And he was what we know as Father Abraham, the father of many nations. God spoke to him. And said to him, one day you're going to have a huge family. Your uh, descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or as the grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. And out of your family line is going to come one who who will bless the entire world. All nations will be blessed through your seed, through someone that will come in your family line. Do you know who he's ultimately pointing to? Abram didn't know it. Pointing to Jesus. And if you read in the New Testament and you could trace back the descendants in the family line of Jesus, it would go all the way back here to this promise that God made. So long before anyone would have ever imagined Jesus was going to come in the flesh, God made a promise to him. 
that through his family line. So through that family line would mean that you would see not just the entire family tree, but there would be a line, a thread that's woven through there that if you would follow it, you would get right to Jesus. And so as you do that, you would then look at a a family of five or a family of six or seven. You say, okay, which one is going to lead us through? Which one will God choose to continue to pass down this promise, this blessing through every generation? So Abram has two children, Ishmael and Isaac. And it is not Ishmael who's going to receive this promise that, that that promise would go through. It would be Isaac. So we see that first step there that God blesses and gives him a child when his wife Sarah was unable to have children. Now Isaac is the one whom through God's promise is going to come to pass one day. So then Isaac has children. He marries Rebekah. They have two children and they are uh, twins and their names are Esau and Jacob. And as they're giving birth, uh, Esau comes out first and he is this little hairy ball of a man. And... uh, I can say that because I know when my, we had my little daughter, Lily, that's all the doctor was talking about. Wow, she has a lot of hair on her head. Uh, she was born with a whole head of hair. And so uh, Esau comes out. The parents are surprised. And then clutching onto his heel is his brother, Jacob. And that would actually be his name, the one who grabs the heel, Jacob. His name actually meant a lot more than that. It meant wrestler, struggler, deceiver. I had so many negative connotations that from the very womb, they were wrestling. They were wrestling inside of these two brothers. God spoke to her, to Rebecca, and said, you have two nations that are warring inside of you right now. But then God also said something. He gives that same promise, the same way that God's blessing would flow through Isaac, from Abraham through Isaac's line. God's now giving an idea of how that will continue to flow. He says, look, you have two children, but the younger Jacob is going to be the one who will lead. He's the one that I've chosen. He's the one who will rule over his older brother. And so Rebecca understands this. Isaac should understand this, but he doesn't get the memo in the same way. In fact, as the two boys grow up, he favors Esau continually. Isaac continues to favor his older son because he's a manly man. He's a man that likes to hunt and have wild game and cook meat. And some of you are like, yeah, it's the kind of guy I'd like to hang out with. Sounds good. Ribs, all the kinds of stuff I like. And then you got Jacob. He's making salads and all kinds of other things at home. He's not, he's not the person I want to be hanging out with. Uh, so, so there it is. They, they're they're kind of there. And, and, you know, Isaac's like, this is my boy. You know, he's, you know, grunting and out in the woods and smells like, uh, you know, woods and all kinds of craziness and uh jacob's at home you know like kind of hanging out the house cooking things with mom uh he's not he's not too interested in in jacob and so uh esau's there and jacob's there and jacob really is is wanting this birthright blessing you see as a firstborn child uh, esau received this birthright which was the lion's share of the inheritance it was also the place of power honor leadership in the family and so Jacob wanted that, and Rebekah wanted Jacob to have that because she knew what the Lord had told her. And so they put together this scheme, because Jacob ends up being a schemer. They have this scheme where it's like, you know what, Uh, when Esau's away, you know, your dad's getting blind, Jacob, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on some of your brother's clothes. Uh, Your brother's so hairy, we're going to go get kind of like some fur from an animal and just put it on your skin. And whenever you get close to him, you'll smell and look like your brother, and uh, you're going to be able to get the birthright and the blessing the blessing that God had ultimately promised. And so he does this. He makes his food. He brings it to Isaac, and Isaac can't see at this point. And so uh, as he comes, he smells his son. He tastes the food that would come from his son. And then Jacob speaks, and he's confused. He's thinking, it doesn't sound like Esau, but it looks like Esau. It feels like Esau. It 
tastes like what Esau would bring me, he gives him the blessing. Then Esau comes back in the field. Now, this is a man who makes his living killing things. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, he, is, uh, he gets in there and he's like, hey, Father, here's the meal. And, uh, and so I'm ready for my blessing. He said, hold on, who are you? If, if you're Esau, then who did I just bless? Esau's thinking, oh, no, my brother who tricked me out of the blessing for a bowl of soup, thinking that's not going to come to pass. He got me. So Esau does what he knows that he wants to do. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill his brother. And from that moment on, he's bent towards his destruction, towards getting even, getting back what he felt was rightfully his. And so Jacob, who is caught up in these schemes from an early time, just this deception, this, this identity, uh, he's not even secure enough in who he is. He wants to be someone that he's not. That's how he kind of lives his life. And not only does he live a life that's full of that, he also continues to get tricked himself. He just struggles along the way. And he's a, a foreigner. He has to just go out and just wander the land to try to get by. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't successful. God blessed him as he brought him along. He accumulated wealth. He accumulated uh, two wives. That's an interesting story we don't have time for because uh, the deceiver got deceived, right? Uh, he's like, oh, yes, I want to marry uh, your daughter, Rachel. And uh, the dad says, sure, work for me for a bunch of years. He does, and then he gives him the wrong daughter and says, oh, no, no, that's not how it works. Work another seven years, then you can have my daughter. So it's interesting how the deceiver, the one who, uh, whose whole identity was found in, in kind of lying, manipulating, and uh, causing people to, to not understand or to not know what was right, got tricked. And so now he has a family, he has 11 children, he has these two wives, he has two maids, and he gets all this wealth, but you know, it's something still lacking inside of you. How many of you know that you can have a lot of stuff, but there can still be something lacking inside of you? Something just isn't quite right. And you know what wasn't quite right for him? He had all that stuff, but he didn't have the true blessing that God had promised to him. He didn't have the real blessing of who he knew he was supposed to be. That he knew there was something more, and it was back home, the place that he had been given the birthright to occupy. He was not able to be in the place and fulfill the purpose that he was ultimately made and created and destined to fill. And so he was being eaten away at by this. And the thing that stood in his way all along was his brother Esau. Because all along the way, Esau's not happy, and Esau wants to fight him, and will Esau try to take my life? And so he always kept a distance from his brother, but now he couldn't wait any longer. It was time to go home. It was time for him to truly become who he knew he could become. So he goes, and he wants to set off, and what does he do? He hatches one more scheme along the way. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a bunch of animals, a bunch of my flocks and herds to uh, him, and I'm going to send them to him in groups. Seven groups of them. And then the first one would get there and he'll, he'll love it. And he'll say, you know, your servant Jacob has sent these to you. And please, you know, find favor in his eyes. And then before he could even wrap his mind around that, another one will come. And another one will come. And another one will come. I'm going to soften my brother up so much that he just will not be able to uh, stand it. And he'll just love me so much and he won't hurt me. Just like a younger brother would say. Um, and so that happens, and then he starts sending people. He divides up his people and says, now you go and talk to him. And if you see him, just like, tell him how much I love him. Tell him, please don't hurt me. And he sends them, and they go. And then eventually he gets to the point we see here in chapter 32 where he even begins to send uh, his family ahead of him. He says, now you go, and I'll just be by myself, and then I'll go. So he's thinking, I'm just going to send everyone away, and it's time for me to have this heart-to-heart -heart with my brother. It's time for me to finally meet him, my brother who I've been struggling against, who I've been wrestling against, the one whom my very name, the wrestler, the struggler, the TV, it's all bound up in this, this relationship that I have with him, this issue that we need to work out, and it's time. And so he sends them all 
away. And that's when this process of change begins to happen inside of Jacob's life. And I think there's something we need to realize before we even jump in here, is that when you talk about living a changed life, it's, it, it can only come through you having an encounter with God. It can't come through you just having a good philosophy, a good idea. It only comes in the presence of God. And what we're going to see here is that this man, Jacob, who had been someone else for so much of his life, never reaching the potential that God had ultimately had for him, comes into an encounter in the presence of God that changes him forever. And it was something that only he could do on his own. His family, no one else. Everyone else had to be separated. And so I want you to know this message right now, where we're going, is just for you. It's not for the people that brought you here. It's not for the person that you're sitting next to because they can't change your life. It's only going to come in the presence of God. And I believe that as we look at his word, we are in his presence because where we have gathered together, he has promised to be with us. There's the power for your life to be changed and transformed as you come to him. So think about your life through this lens because this is really the process of change. This is the story of a changed life and our lives are so much the same. It starts with this. It always starts with this, conflict. It always starts with conflict, with some kind of issue. Without that, uh, nothing else really takes place. Now, some of you hear the word conflict. You say, that sounds like a bad word. I have to deal with this all the time when I do premarital counseling uh, with couples. I say, hey, we're going to do uh, something on communication. Some of you are saying, great. <laughs> we didn't get that lesson whenever we were getting married. Uh, and then second, we're going to do something on conflict resolution. Oh, but we don't have conflict in our lives. Or, you know, that's only for dysfunctional couples. They, no, I said, the absence of conflict, if there is no conflict in your relationship, that throws up a lot of red flags for me. How many of you know uh, those couples that say, oh, there's no conflict. There's never going to be any problem once we get married. How many of you are saying, amen, we have the perfect marriage. We've never disagreed about anything. No. You know why it throws up red flags? If there's no conflict in a relationship, healthy conflict I'm talking about, then it means one of two things normally. Number one, someone's really checked out of the relationship. They don't care enough to tell you what they really think. Number two, someone is completely dominating a relationship. And the other person just believes that we never disagree because they always seem to agree with me. Because anytime they hint at disagreeing, I make them agree with me. And so that, that, that kind of is a red flag. And that, that comes up sometimes when we work with couples that, hey, this kind of conflict is healthy because it's a part of two becoming one. There are a lot of rough edges. And the more we come together, there's, there's things that would seem even incompatible. The more we see God working on us, God transforming us. I just did a funeral for a lovely lady yesterday. Um, and her husband was there sharing 61 years of marriage. And I love what he told me because he said, we never should have lasted a week. We were so different. We were just so different. He's telling the stories of how they even came together. And his wife's saying, I'll never marry that guy. He's crazy. And then 61 years later, right? 24 grandchildren later. Like, you know, that, you know a whole family that knows and loves and serves the Lord later, Right? It isn't about an absence of conflict. You better believe they had some conflict. The stories were hilarious yesterday. Um, but you know what? The celebration was even greater. Such a celebration of her life. See, it isn't about an absence of conflict that makes a relationship healthy. It's about having the right kind of conflict, the right kind of ones that will lead towards growth. And so that's the kind of conflict that happens. There's always a conflict. There's always this crisis moment that comes in to our lives. Just as God is encountering us, it's normally because we're going the wrong direction and God meets us at a point in time and that's where he finally gets our attention. So imagine with me the scene here. We're in Genesis chapter 32. 
Jacob has just said goodbye to the last of his family. Now he is all alone. And I don't know if you've ever done this where you've said goodbye to people. Maybe they're leaving your house. And, and as they're walking away, you can hear the footsteps getting fainter. You can hear the conversations dying off. And then Jacob has this startling reality. Although he's looking there and no one's around, someone is there with him. Someone's right behind him. And he turns around and there's this mysterious figure that begins to wrestle with him. That's the scene of what happens in Genesis chapter 32. It says in verse 22 and 23, Now he arose the same night and he took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and they crossed over and then he took and sent them across the stream with whatever he had. So he's all alone. Verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is significant. Because normally, a wrestling match should only last a few minutes. In fact, if you wrestled in school or uh, do wrestle in high school or college, uh, those are not meant to last the entire evening or the entire night. They're meant to be just a few of them. You know why? Because there's always someone that's going to win. Something that goes 12 rounds, think about a boxing match. You know why? It's because they're so equally matched that one of them will just not give up. They're both so fully into it. Think about those uh, baseball games that go into 21 innings. It's like, no, they're just so determined. There's so much fight. They're so equally matched. Could you imagine this? Two men wrestling. Neither one could get the upper hand. Neither one could overpower the other. There's such a strong conflict here. And Jacob realized it's like nothing he's ever seen before. And you know what's so significant about this point in time is that Jacob normally fled from conflict early on in his life. See, when the going got tough, he got going. How many of you live that way? When the going gets tough, I'm out of here. I'm flying. They say it's either fight or flight mode, right? And so he, he normally flies. He normally goes. You know, we go to incredible measures to try to protect ourselves from conflict. Do you know that? How many of you love conflict in your house or in your work? Or in, no, not many people. In fact, we won't say what we're really thinking or what we need to say because we don't want to be in conflict with people. Conflict can be healthy, though. And we can never grow unless we come into healthy conflict. And so he's in this type of conflict. And some would say, I don't want conflict because a conflict-free life is a carefree life, and I want a carefree life. Yes, but you know what else? A conflict-free life is also a change-free life. Because sometimes we have to go through some adversity and difficulty if God's going to change us the way he wants to change us. Think about 1 Peter. Read that chapter when you get a chance in your devotional time. Chapter 1. It says that we rejoice in who God is, but we suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these trials have come so that our faith, which is worth more than gold, can be refined, just like gold is refined. The heat intensifies. The refining process happens, and what's left at the end is purer, stronger, more precious. That's what happens when we go through conflict the way that God wants to use conflict in our lives. And it's funny here when you read this part of the passage and the struggle that's happening, uh, that word for that wrestling, that struggling, is the same kind of derivative word of the word and name Jacob. So this man, this messenger from God, is Jacobing Jacob. He's actually wrestling the wrestler. He's struggling against the struggler. And so as they're going through this struggle and through this wrestling, um, Jacob realizes something. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood here. I'm not wrestling against anyone I've ever wrestled with before. For me, if I'm him, I'm thinking it's Esau right as I turn around. But it's not Esau. It's someone else. And as he realizes that this is him in the presence of God, he has to make a decision now. What am I going to do? Am I going to give up? Am I going to run like I've run before? Am I going to just kind of go and just try to scheme up something to get myself out of this situation? 
Or am I going to actually give it all that I have and go all in and make a concerted, committed effort towards it? And the second thing you need when conflict comes into your life that God wants to use to change you, it needs to be met with a commitment on your end. A commitment to persevere, a commitment to take hold of God and say, God, if you have me going through this and you have a reason, then I'm going to hold on to you and I'm not going to let go. So again, conflict and then commitment. Commitment is so necessary to lead you through that. Genesis chapter 32, verses 25 and 26. It says this, When the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled him. Now this, number one, would be incredibly painful. If you're a wrestler, this is the area that you are getting all your strength from. Your thighs, you're right there in your base. You are getting all of your ability to wrestle, all of your strength. Isn't it amazing that God touches him at his point of greatest strength and humbles him right there? Some of us, we know what that feels like. The thing that we thought we were strongest in, that we could lean on the most. God has allowed us to become humbled in that area. But it is a time when God can get your attention, where God can lead you, God can move you. And even at that, with a dislocated hip, Jacob will not let go of this man. And then he said to him, let me go because the dawn is breaking. And he said, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Why is he saying that? No one says this in a sporting match. <laughs> no one talks like this during No, I'm not letting you go. you got to bless me right now. What? No, it's like let the referee say that I won. Then we can go. No, he knows he's struggling against God. He knows that God has ordained this moment. He's saying this, I'm not letting go this time. I'm all in. I'm going to persevere. And I want everything that you have for me. I want the blessing that was promised to me so long ago. I want to be who I know that I was created to be. I want to be that person. I don't want to be who I've always been. And because of that, things begin to change. We need that kind of resolve. We need that kind of commitment. And you know what else that Jacob is realizing in this moment? He's realizing who he's always been wrestling against. Because up until this time, every part of his plan and his scheme is focused on his brother Esau. You know why? It would be easy for him to say, Esau's the one I've been wrestling with my whole entire life. Esau's the one I wrestled with in the womb. Esau's the one I wrestled with for the birthright. Esau's the one that I wrestled with for my very life. Esau's the one that I wrestled with whenever my father, uh, you know, wanted to bless him. He's always the one that's been stealing away who I know I'm supposed to be. He's the one that's my biggest problem. Everywhere that I want to go, everything I want to do, he's the one standing in the way. You know what Jacob realized in this moment, on this night? Jacob was, the Esau wasn't the one he had been wrestling with his entire life. God was the one he had been wrestling with his entire life. God was the one who had been, he had been struggling against. God's the one who he's been trying to have his own will when God had a purpose for his life. Some of you, you think you've been struggling against that person or that circumstance or whatever it might be. Here's what you need to know. If you don't have a relationship with God, the one you've been struggling and wrestling against may, may very well be him. That he's been struggling with you. He's been walking with you. He's been wrestling with you so he can get your attention because he wants to lead you into a brand new life. He wants to change everything about you. So he realizes this and he wants to experience all that God has for him. And so this has to come though with the next greatest part of his, of his path towards change, that first he comes into conflict, then he has to make this commitment, this resolve that he's in it, that he wants all that God has for him. He wants the life that God has promised to him. But that can't come until this third thing happens, confession. And so he's asked this question. The man says to him, What is your name? This is such a bigger question 
than you and I could even imagine. Because the name that he's given isn't just a name his parents plucked out of the sky. It wasn't one that they read on some baby blog that uh, this is the top one of the year, you know, whatever, B.C. 3000, whatever it would be. This wasn't, that wasn't how they figured out this name. The name in this time and in Scripture was always tied in completely to their identity. You're not just naming a child, you're giving that child an identity of who they will be. And that name that was given to him, Jacob, the supplanter, the one who grabs the heel, the deceiver, it became exactly the identity of who Jacob was. And Jacob lived his life trying to be someone else. Because the last time we hear the question, who are you, do you know how he answers? I'm Esau. I'm someone else. And he continued to want to be someone else. But you know what? He had to be brutally honest because he wasn't in the presence of someone that could be fooled in this moment. And if he really wanted his life to be changed, God wasn't interested in changing who he was pretending to be. And for some of us, we need to realize that today because we work so hard to put up a facade of what we want the world to think of us. And we fight very hard to try to project this image of who we are when we know that's not who we really are. And I want you to know something. God won't change who you're pretending to be. That person doesn't exist. He's a figment of the imagination. He's here to change who you really are. He doesn't see you the way that the world sees you. He sees to the depths of your heart. For some of us, that should terrify us, but for others, that should relieve us because you need to know this. You don't have to fight and pretend with God. He knows you just as you are, and he loves you just as you are. His love is conditional upon anything else. Amen. But he wants to change us, who we really are. So he asks Jacob this question, and this is where the music which is beginning to a crescendo because it's an intense moment where Jacob has to open his mouth and he has to say, I'm Jacob, I'm the deceiver, I'm the supplanter, I'm the one who grabs the heel, I'm not the first, I'm, I'm all these things that I'm pretending that I'm not. And as he finally confesses who he is, it's in that moment that God's ready to reach in and make him who he really wants him to be. Here's what he says to him. Verse 28. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled, striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. He gives him a brand new identity. I'm going to invite Mike and the worship team to come. He gives him a new name. It goes from being the struggler, the supplanter, the one who has deceived to being this. God saves. The Lord saves. What a name, what an identity that's been given to him now. It goes from someone that has done all wrong to someone who the Lord has redeemed and saved for himself. Do you know what the beautiful story is, church? That you and I are just like Jacob. We've been pretending to be everything, and yet we know that we're sinners. We've made mistakes, we've done wrong, and as much as we want to hide that, it's seen by God. At the end of eternity, at the end, when we leave this life, it will be known to him, it already is known to him. And we can pretend to be all these other things. We can give ourselves all kind of names. We can give ourselves all kind of hashtags. We can give ourselves all kinds of uh, other things we want people to see. And yet at the end of the day, who we really are comes out of the heart, right? And when we are real with God and we come to him as we are, not as we should be, not as we want to be, not as we're trying to be, he loves us. And because he sent his son to die for us, if we're willing to confess our need for him, he takes away that name, whatever it is, 
whatever your name is, when I say your name, that identity, sinner, whatever you would say, whatever the things you are that you know that could label you, that is taken away and you're given a brand new name and a brand new identity. Child of God, adopted, redeemed, delivered, rescued, set free. That's the new identity of what you're given. That's who you are in him. And because of that, right, because of that we rejoice. Because our name ultimately is this, the Lord saves. He saved me. He set me free. He delivered me. That can only come by us confessing our need for him, just as Jacob did. But it goes one step further because we all want to stop here and want to say, hallelujah, praise God. This is amazing. I've been saved. I've been set free. But there's one more part in the change process that we so often forget. It's the next step, and it's what we, we all settle for that part. But here's what God wants to do. He's not done with him. He gave him a new identity. He gave him a new name. He gave him a new purpose. But he wants to give him one other thing. In verse 31, it says, Now as the sun rose up upon him, Jacob crossed over, and he was limping on his thigh. For the rest of his days, for that season, he would now bear in his body, the outward sign of the inward change that God did inside of his life. He would carry with himself a new part of his identity that when people looked at him, they would see this is the one, this is Israel. This is the one who God has saved. This is the one who God has marked. This is the one who has been set apart by him. The final thing is that ultimate change that happens. And that change is not just the inward transformation, but it's the outward symbol of that inward transformation. In the same way that Jacob, who became Israel, carried a symbol of that change throughout the rest of his life, we as those who have called upon Jesus, if we've confessed our sins, if we have come into relationship with him, there's one other step Jesus gives. He calls us to be baptized. He calls us to follow him into the waters. And you know what that means? We're saying this, I want there to be an outward sign of the inward change that has happened to me. Because God's already changed me on the inside. And now I'm ready to declare that publicly. And I'm ready that to be my outward sign. That's what baptism is. In the same way that he now walked differently, we are called to walk differently. We're called to proclaim who he is in this world and who he is in our lives. And that's what baptism is all about. So today, if you've confessed your sins, today if you have come into that place where God has changed your life, my question for you is simple. Do you bear in your life that outward sign of the inward change that God has done in you? Have you been baptized? There are some here that have not yet been baptized. I can see some of the shirts, and they're going to be baptized today. How many of you are excited about that? that? There are those that are saying, I want that. I want to experience that. There are others of you that you have not yet been baptized, and I don't know what you're waiting for. Don't say you're waiting to have some dry clothes because we actually purchased dry clothes for you this time. So you can't get away with that one. We have the clothes. We have the towels. We have hair dryers. We have everything that you will need. We got every, I got the water up there. We got nice and warm. It's about 95 degrees. But most importantly, God's here. Your family's here. We're going to film it. If you want to show it to someone else, it's streaming right now. You could text them as you leave your seat saying, tune in right now, evangelchurch.com. Wait till you see what happens. But I, here's what I would love. I would love for it to be some that say, you know what, I haven't been baptized yet and I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been struggling, wrestling with God for too long. It's time for me to get up and go forward. So would you stand with me? I'm just going to read God's word to you. And uh, I don't want to say anything else, but I do want to say what God's word has to say. And uh, this, is, this is from Scripture. 
It says this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey his commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. I'm so glad I'm not the one saying this. Um, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus lived his life. Jesus calls us to the waters of baptism. He was baptized. He calls us to follow that example. In fact, he made it a part of a commandment that he gave, a commission. Go into all the world baptizing. We are called to be baptized. It's a part of us putting our faith in him and our faith in action. So today, if you're being baptized, would you just begin to leave your seats and let's just begin to praise God for the decision that they're making. Today, if you'd like to be baptized and you're saying, what am I waiting for? I'm ready. I'm in. Just leave your seats right now. Head into the foyer right there. If you're ready today and you know today's the day, you don't have to have given any prior notice. You can meet with someone on staff right now. Leave your seat and head out. Anytime during the song that we're singing, leave your seat and head out and get baptized. Let's continue to hear it for them as they're doing that. Amen. We're going to sing that song that we started with during the offertory, I am not the same. I'm a new creation. As you sing this, Remember all that God has done in your life. Remember the moment that God had called you to the waters of baptism. If you're still waiting, go. Go and be baptized. We'll see you in just a few moments.